Welcome to the Life to the Fullest podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Dan Jason, here today on this Sunday, a great day that the Lord has made indeed. And it makes me think about the past couple of weeks, being with lots of family and friends, a couple weddings that we celebrated, certainly coming off of the feast and festivities of Easter. And it just remembers the importance of food in our lives, of breaking bread with one another. It's so vital and crucial to our culture. It's substance for life, having good nourishment, things to enjoy, and also that camaraderie of friendship, family around the dinner table. I think about my time as a, as a youth growing up on the hill in Germantown, New York, with my grandparents, parents, brother, all of my cousins, and going to Sunday dinners and how that set a precedent and a tone for my life, the importance of gathering around the table. And here we are again today. I'm going to be traveling down there for Sunday dinner with some family that's from out of town. It's just going to be a beautiful time together to enjoy that good food, especially my grandmother's home cooking. But it certainly is this crucial element of our lives. You know, you look back into biblical times and the breaking of the bread is so important to society, so vital for people to be able to come together as a community, to have that communion and to be able to share in the depth of life. Today, I want to talk about the Eucharist because it's something that is the key essential part of our Catholic faith. And it's something that we really have to look deeply into scripture to understand where it comes from, the Old Testament into the New Testament, and then certainly Jesus being the bread of life. And during the Last Supper, look back a couple weeks ago, Jesus set that example. He's at table with his 12 apostles. They are breaking bread together. And basically, Jesus is telling them that he is the bread of life, the one who comes down from heaven, and he's going to be this nourishment that they need because he is the one sent from the Father. I want to pick up here in John chapter 6. It's the bread of life discourse. And certainly you can read tons and tons of books on this, how people can break it down. But I want to try to make it a little bit more simple for you to understand, but also keep the richness of what God has to say to us today, because it is so critical understanding this passage, really realizing the gift that we have every single Sunday, and certainly every day for that matter, because Jesus is truly present in the bread of life. It says here, in John chapter 6, after this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs he was performing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Jewish feast of Passover was near. When Jesus raised his eyes and saw that a crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, where can we buy enough food for them to eat? And he said this to test him because he himself knew what he was going to do. Now, the people are going to recline at table. Jesus is there, certainly with his friends. He's with his apostles, and they're going to eat and to be filled. So we have this, this physical nourishment. Jesus is going to give them true food to eat, so that way the physical sensation is satisfied. But as we go a little bit further, after we hear in the passage in the middle section here that Jesus was walking on the water and the winds were blowing and you know the storms were coming along, and he says to his 
uh, disciples, do not be afraid. The boat then goes immediately to the other side where they were heading. And this is where the bread of life discourse truly picks up. And that's in verse 22. It says, the next day, the crowd that remained across the sea saw there had been only one boat there and Jesus had not gone along with his disciples in the boat, but only his disciples had left. Other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had eaten the bread when the Lord gave thanks. So they're there. They had eaten that physical food that Jesus had given to the masses, to the 5,000 men who were there, as well as women and children. We know that there was leftovers um, taking place during that bountiful harvest of the Lord. And in verse 25 says, And when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus then answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. So they said to him, What can we do to accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent. So they said to him, What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Wow, so much importance here, so much impact. Jesus truly spelling it out for them and sharing with his apostles, the disciples there who are with him after this bountiful physical feast, that he is the true bread that came down from heaven. After he says this, though, and we're going to unpack it all, we're going to uh, really have an opportunity to digest what the Lord is saying here. In verse 36, it's interesting, Jesus says, but I told you that although you have seen me, you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will not reject anyone who comes to me, because I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. So Jesus clearly outlining what he is here to do, not his own will, but the will of the Father to receive all people just as they are when they come to him. And this is the will of the one who sent me that I should not lose anything of what he gave me, but I should raise it on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I shall raise him on the last day. So Jesus also foreshadowing what was happening here when he was going to have the resurrection at Easter. And the people are starting to murmur. They're starting to kind of argue about this. It even says in verse 41 here, the Jews murmured about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? We do not know his father and mother, or do we not know his father and mother? Then how can he say, I have come down from heaven. 
So they're arguing, they're going back and forth, they're thinking to themselves, what is this guy saying? How can he be proclaiming this? And Jesus basically calls him out on it. And he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him on the last day. So he's talking about the resurrection again for the second time here in this bread of life discourse, understanding that he is the true bread of life. And then it says in verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Jesus, for the third time here, in just a few verses, is explaining and proclaiming so boldly that he is the true bread, and that if people eat of him, they will never die, they will have resurrection, and they will live forever with the Lord. The Jews again still persistent, quarreling, arguing, not believing what he's saying, say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus says to them in verse 53, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and i in him just as the living father sent me because i have life because of the father so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me this is the bread that came down from heaven unlike your ancestors who ate and still died whoever eats this bread will live forever these things he said while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Wow. Talk about boldness. Talk about beauty. Talk about excellence. Talk about truth. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about, the bread of life who comes down from heaven. Certainly so much to unpack, so much to think about, to allow it to settle in and to rest into our hearts and our souls. Now, when I was growing up and understanding I was going to make my first communion in about age eight or so in second grade, certainly, you know, it's it's interesting because the priest today that we have, Father Walsh at St. Pius, explains it to little boys and girls who are about to make their first communion as if, well, if, you know, Jesus gave us something else to eat, then we would indulge in that. And he mentions baptism. You know, if Jesus um, was pouring chocolate milk over somebody to be baptized, then what would we use? Obviously, you use chocolate milk. We, we lend the hand and the lead of the shepherd, and we do what Jesus has asked us to do, and we understand that this is truth, this is beauty, this is the grace of God and the blessing that came down from heaven. So when he's explicit about this here, he's really explicit. And some people might have a problem with this, and certainly the Jews at the time did. But I want you to uncover what is really taking place here, what transpired over 2,000 years ago in the breaking of the bread in the feast, because they would celebrate Passover, you know, weekly. And now we have this, the Last Supper, the greatest Passover that there is, and Jesus 
does it again. And he reveals it to them later on in the gospel. But he's here with them beforehand at the feeding of the 5,000. And that was because he's setting up what he's about to share with them that is the true food, the true bread that comes down from heaven. Certainly physical food is important, but the body of Christ, the spiritual food and nourishment, Jesus entering us heart, mind, and soul, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He's living in us and giving us life so we can be life in the world and so we can live forever. The passage, right, this bread of life discourse is proclaiming Jesus. It comes from the story of that 5,000 in chapter 6 of John's gospel because they, they needed signs. The people back then were all inundated and just, you know, hung up on having signs. And Jesus turned the five barley loaves and two fish into food, a plentiful bounty for people at the Sea of Galilee. And then after they're fed, the disciples are gathering the leftover fragments. They take the boat across to the Sea of Capernaum, and the miracle occurs after this 5,000. And Jesus and his disciples were about to ask the Lord to get into their boat, and the boat reaches the other side of the shore. So then the next day, the crowds are going to look for the disciples, and after realizing that Jesus had not left in the boat, they then are mystified as well. You know, so this gets their mind thinking, and they're understanding, wow, this guy is performing miracles, he's just showing up, he's appearing out of nowhere, what is going on? And the importance of the last part of the gospel is certainly great. You know, the, the meat of this here, truly, the crowd who's looking for that sign, understanding that Jesus is more than a prophet, and that he's proclaiming what this is truly all about here, his body and his blood, is something that they are really paying attention to, and they're hanging on every word that he has to say. You know, when you think about the word Eucharist, it actually has such great meaning. The, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's derived from the Greek word eucharista, meaning thanksgiving. And this term, which originated back in the first or second century AD, as early as Christians commemorating the Last Supper of the Lord to count their blessings, giving thanks to God. If you look at the origin of this word, this Greek word kairos, which means grace, and then you have eu, which means well, and karisethai, offer graciously. And then you put them together and you get Eucharistia in the Greek, which means thanksgiving, and certainly to give thanks to God, giving him thanks for what he did for us. It makes so much sense. Every time that we celebrate the Mass, the heart of the Mass is the Eucharist. And we're going to get into that today with you because when you take part in the communion, the table of the Lord, you're actually taking part in not only allowing him to physically enter into you, but with your brothers and sisters. And as much as it is important to break physical bread with other people at family dinners and gatherings and banquets and celebrations, birthdays, anniversaries, wedding feasts, right? And, and I think that's why also Jesus emphasized the wedding at Cana and why he at the Last Supper is emphasizing again, breaking bread. It's this physical sign that people are certainly very familiar with, as well as wine. And he veils himself behind those elements so that way he can enter into us, not only physically, but spiritually. And he's human and divine, so his divinity becomes part of who we are as well. Wow, so much richness, so much beauty, so much grace here. You know, something else I think about when I understanding the Eucharist is the word home, because truly Jesus is making a home 
inside of us. When he enters into us, he becomes part of us, the dwelling place. We become like a dwelling place of God. And it's so critical, so important. It's beautiful to really reflect upon because here we are having the Lord come into us. We're making our body a temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. This comes from the word tabernacle. You think about every church throughout the world, every Catholic church throughout the world, thousands and thousands of them. Jesus Christ is truly present. He's present there in the tabernacle. The body and blood of Christ is there in that special sacred place. Why? Because the word tabernacle it means hosts from the Lord. Tabernacle hosts. The Lord has come into every church throughout the world. The Hebrew coming from the word dwelling. So tabernacle from the Hebrew word dwelling in Jewish history, the portable sanctuary was constructed by Moses as a place of worship for Hebrew tribes during the period of wandering that preceded their arrival in the promised land. So there they are wandering around. And what did they have? They had the Ark of the Covenant right? They had where God was going to be dwelling, him there with them. And it was a very holy and sacred place. And they would only be able to go there if it it was the high priest. They had this house of worship, specifically that large tent that they brought with them. And it was the consecrated elements here of their days with the Lord as they're journeying. And now, the elements that are consecrated by the priest today, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, is now there. It's truly present in the tabernacle. And it's a beautiful thing because in order to have that centerpiece of worship and activity that they had in the Old Testament, it's now Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the fulfillment of that, the New Testament. And in the tabernacle that was there, the the Ark of the Covenant, rather, that was there for the 40 years of wandering in the desert, whenever the Israelites camped out, the Ark was placed in a separate room in a sacred tent, and that was actually called the Tabernacle. So now you have the Ark of the Covenant, and you had the Tabernacle, and now the Tabernacle, which is becoming into the New Testament, where Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that is where he is housed right? He's there. He's fully present with us. What a gift. What a gift to be able to go to a Catholic church anywhere in the entire world and be there with the Lord who's truly present. What a gift to be able to receive him every single day during daily mass or at least once a week on Sunday because we understand the importance of this here. We realize how impactful it can be in our lives, in our journey of faith and truly bringing down what is Jesus saying here in John 6, the bread of life discourse, and who is he? He is that bread of life. He wants to receive us into him and us to receive him into our being. Wow. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to begin to really understand more, to break down the Bread of Life discourse in a way for us to truly be able to conceptualize it and to realize what Jesus is saying and how this is going to impact our lives and our journey of faith. The Life to the Fullest podcast is brought to you by EF3 Life 
Together, we journey on growing, improving, and becoming a better version of ourselves daily in the areas of education, faith, fitness, and finance. Make sure to visit EF3Live.com and follow us on social media at EF3Live to learn of ways to get involved in your community and make a difference. Check out my latest book, The Saint Next Door, Practicing Heaven by Living Love and Discovering God's Holiness Within. There's only one way to live, and that's life to the fullest. Welcome back to the Life to the Fullest podcast. I'm your host, Dan Jason. This is the EF3 Life platform. We're here today talking about the Eucharist. And certainly there's so much richness, so much goodness, so much importance in John chapter 6, the bread of life discourse, and Jesus giving himself at the Last Supper to his apostles, but not just to them, but understanding that we were going to be able to receive him while we celebrate Mass every Sunday and any day that we are in the Lord's presence in front of the Blessed Sacrament. You know, Jesus said so oftentimes, and it says in Scripture many times as well, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. So when we are gathered in the name of the Lord, he is present there. And that's why church is so important. That's why coming together as a community and belief, the body of Christ in the world is so radically important and beautiful in our lives. Jesus got into the boat after the winds picked up, the storm raged, he walks on water, and he brings them safely to shore. Then that is where it picks up with this bread of life discourse. He is that hidden bread in wine and I'm sorry, in bread and wine, elements that are common to our lives. It's it's really cool and beautiful to think about this. Why? Because if he picks something else, maybe that wasn't so um, radically transformative or also transcending, I should say, of time and space, because it was relevant then 2,000 years ago, it's still relevant today. These are film familiar aspects of the ages of go- ago, and fast-forwarding centuries, millennia actually, till our present times, where they still are so important to us in our culture and society. And the big thing here is, it's not just a symbol, okay? Where people get this wrong is it's not a symbol. It's like Jesus said, take this. This is a symbol, a sign. No, it goes way farther than that. He says numerous times, at least five or six times, more than that, maybe even, I am the bread of life. And he specifically says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. That is very explicit, okay? And for those who might be naysayers, those people who are going to criticize us, people who don't understand it fully, they're, they're thinking, oh, wow, this is cannibalism. No, this is Jesus allowing him to enter into us, to make our bodies and our souls, his dwelling place. Can you imagine that? Imagine that you understand that Jesus is dwelling inside of you. He's living in you. If he's living in you, you can do pretty much anything, anything that God gives you, the grace, the blessing, the ability to go out there and to impact the world. Why did he say, you will do greater works than these? Well, because we can't do that much in and of ourselves. With other people's help, we can certainly do more. But how much more if we have the help of the Lord, if we have him truly living inside of us? If we can receive him as much as possible, this is going to do great things in our lives. A number of years ago, when I was in college studying at Lemoyne, 
I had the opportunity to go to daily mass with the Jesuits. It really set a precedent for my life because I understood by going there, by receiving Christ as often as possible, this was going to do something for me that was truly going to change me from the inside out. As much as I want to try, as much as I can give an effort to make changes in my own life, and certainly through prayer, through studying of the word, through good fellowship with other believers, through going to to church, to mass, and praise and worship, all this stuff is so important for our spiritual growth. However, the most important thing that I have learned, that is that if I can receive the Lord physically into myself and he can transform me from the inside out, and I have him living in me, really, I allow him to make those changes happen, his grace to flow from within, and then I just have to really just be available and show up. And like Mother Teresa said, hopefully we don't refuse any ask of his love, because when other people come to us, when we encounter hardship in our lives, when we're facing adversity, when we're journeying along and things don't go our way, or we're faced with real challenges, Well, we can embrace anything that this world brings to us if we have the Lord not only on our side, but the Lord inside of us. Now, let's break down this passage here, the Bread of Life Discourse, about 15 or so verses, and we're going to do this pretty quickly, but really impactfully. In verse 26, Jesus, he answers them, and he's saying to them, Amen, amen, I say to you. And he's setting this precedent. He's calling an action piece here. He's going to spell out and lay out the foundation of what he's discussing in the Bread of Life discourse. And it's going to be something that people are going to wrestle with because he's saying that you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, because you ate the loaves and were filled. That is huge because then it flows into verse 27 where he's talking about eating the loaves again, being filled and not being filled just with physical food, but understanding you're going to be filled with the grace and the love of God, with him being able to give us himself at the last supper so that we could be filled and have God living inside of us. Remember Jesus, Emmanuel means God with us. So God sends his son to be with us in this babe in the manger. He grows up. You know, he's with Mary and Joseph, carpenter's son. He goes through the ranks here. He's, he's seen in the temple. He's preaching in the temple. He's found there. And he says, well, wouldn't you be looking for me? Because I'd be in my father's house. And then fast forward a little bit longer. And he starts to perform these signs. But in 30 to 33 years old or so, he's performing all these signs. People are following him. He calls the disciples on the seas of Galilee. He then goes out and he's feeding the masses. He's healing. He's, he's raising the dead. He's doing things that are so different. And then he's here taking time after feeding 5,000, and he's talking about accomplishing the works of God. And that's what it says in verse 28. Why is he giving this to us? So we can accomplish the works of God. Like I was saying before, with Christ living inside of you, you can do anything and everything. Without him living inside of you, we're limited. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there like that. And if you haven't went to mass more than once a week, even if you don't go once a week, at least do that. But if you could go one more time, just see how that grace, that love, Jesus living inside of you could truly change your life, not only here, but your soul for eternity and your desire to do the works of God. In verse 29, he continues to talk about doing the works of God. And when he says, when Jesus answered them, 
and saying, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent. So in order to do the works, you first have to believe. And when you believe him and you receive him, then you can start living like him. And not just like him, but allowing him to live through you, him living through you and I. In verse 30, he, he talks about the sign to believe because the people so wrapped up in this fact that they needed a sign. They needed symbols. Well, this is far more than a symbol here. So he discusses to them the in the Old Testament where they got that familiar manna, that bread that they received from Moses. And he says in verse 32, Moses giving bread from heaven. But he then talks to them and describes how God is giving true bread from heaven. And Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread of God. That coming in verse 33. Fast forward to verse 34, asking of the people to receive the bread of God. So we need to receive him. God is giving us this bread. He's giving us Jesus. Now we need to receive the son into ourselves. And think about it like this. The woman at the well also went. She was thirsting. Well, she was thirsting far more than physical water. She was thirsting for Christ in her heart. And she goes away without actually sipping any physical water, but she was spiritually filled with that life-giving water that Jesus said, if you come to me, you will not hunger. If you believe in me, you shall not thirst. And in verse 35, as clear as day, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So he's telling him, he is the bread of life. He is. It's as explicit as that. It says it right there. It's laid out for us. But then in verse 36, he probably knew that people were going to disbelieve. There's going to be doubt. That happens. Look at Doubting Thomas. You've seen me, but you do not believe. Verse 37 through 40, talking and discussing what God sent me, Jesus, and I came to receive all, and whoever believes has eternal life, He's promising heaven, and after that, the resurrection on the last day. That, oh wow, I'm just lost for words sometimes when I think about how much beauty there is here and what God is really saying to us, that Jesus wants to make his home in us, that he loves us that much to be able to dwell inside of us, inside of me, a, a, a meager, measly human being, somebody that's broken and wounded, somebody that has certainly not all the answers, that's trying to, at times, just struggle to get through, to be able to journey. And yes, we do have very high aspects of our life. We have a lot of accomplishments we might achieve, but God is there and he receives us just as we are. We just have to come to him, come to him at the altar receive him into your heart understand the gift that we have here in the eucharist every single day jesus veiling himself behind the bread behind the wine because seeing god face to face in all his glory would be too much for us it would be overwhelming and that's why we have a priest priest is the vicar of christ the one who carries on the way and shares the table and supper of the lord at the mass. The priest is the one who Jesus then gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven to St. Peter. He goes out and they start to set up these churches and they do what Jesus asked them to do. They have this last supper each time, the mass. That's where it's centered around. It's around the breaking of the bread, around Jesus giving himself to those so they can receive him. Mother Teresa is a really 
impactful, beautiful um, example of the power and transformative nature of the Eucharist. I want to read here what she has to say. It says, Jesus has made himself the bread of life to give us life. Night and day, he is there. If you really want to grow in love, come back to the Eucharist. Come back to the adoration. We cannot separate our lives from the Eucharist. The moment we do, something breaks. We cannot separate our lives because people need Jesus. People ask, where do the sisters get the joy and the energy to do what they are doing? The Eucharist involves more than just receiving. It also involves satisfying the hunger of Christ. Unless we believe and see Jesus in the appearance of bread on the altar, we will not be able to see him in the distressing disguise of the poor. The words of Mother Teresa there. The beautiful servant of the Lord. Somebody that understood the power of the Eucharist in her life and the power of Christ living through her to be light in the world. Because if we don't see Jesus with eyes of faith behind bread, how are we going to see Jesus in the world when we encounter him in the poor, in the stranger, in those in the margins of society? And that's a whole nother conversation. I think what she's stressing here is to have those real deep eyes of faith, to have a soul-filled experience and understanding that Christ is present. Even if maybe you can't see him physically, you have to believe because you know that he's doing something far greater here, that he wants to enter into you so that way he can live inside of you and give you life to the fullest. That's what it's about. I came so that they might have life and have it more abundantly so they can have it to the fullest so I could be one with them and they one with me. When we look at the Eucharistic prayers at the Mass and what the climax of the celebration of faith is about, where Jesus is there, present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, when the priest consecrates the host, it is so powerful. It does something. If you can enter into it and you're not just walking through the motions, if you listen to what is being said and you believe it in your heart, it's worthwhile here to talk about it a little bit. And the priest will say to you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you, firstly, for your holy Catholic Church. Where is this coming from? It's coming from the Old Testament where sacrifices were so profound, where they were happening regularly, burnt offerings offering of animals, slaughtering of, you know, the goats and, and, and uh, bulls and burning of incense, all this stuff coming from the Old Testament of offering up gifts to the Lord for forgiveness of sins and also to receive his blessing. But now we have Jesus Christ who did it once and for all. He is the true sacrifice. He is the true lamb that was slain. We know that we talked about it on Easter and here we are today understanding that he's giving his life and his bread him, his full self, as life for the world. Then the priest will say, be pleased to grant her, meaning the church, peace to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the world together with your servants, our Pope, our Bishop, and those who holding to the true and hand of the Catholic and apostolic faith. Catholic meaning universal church, the apostolic faith, the faith that was given to the apostles, the first followers 
of Christ. So it's a reflection. It's remembering back to where this faith started, who gave it to those first believers who set up the churches in the world. Then it says, remember, Lord, your servants gathered here today whose faith and devotion are known to you. God knows your faith. He knows your devotion. He understands the aspects and the secret desires of your heart. It says, for them, we offer you this sacrifice of praise as they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them for the redemption of their souls in hope of health and well-being and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. So we're offering these things that we have prayers we bring to the altar. We have our own struggles that we might bring to the foot of the cross. Those people that we love and dearly hold on to that we want more for, that we want God to enter into their lives. And we're able to offer that up on the altar when Jesus is the true lamb being sacrificed here for us, receiving him so that way he can receive all the things that we bring to him during the celebration of the mass. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of God, and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, and then it keeps going on with, with many other great saints and followers of the Lord. And it says, we ask that through their merits and prayers in all things, we may be defended by protecting help. Wow. We're having the protection of all these saints, especially entering into this with the ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of God. Why is she so important? Because she's the one who brought forth in her womb Jesus Christ. She gave birth by power of God and the Holy Spirit, and now she was there at the foot of the cross as well, and she's here with us to celebrate, to understand the glorious riches, and by entering more deeply into life with her, she can bring us closer to the heart of her son. Then the last part of this first Eucharistic prayer says, therefore, Lord, we pray graciously to accept this oblation of our sacrifice that of your whole family order our days in your peace and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. That's what we want. Jesus is the true shepherd. He's the true lamb of God. We're going to be part of his flock if we believe and receive him. So where does the emphasis, again, on the bread of life, this is my body, this is my blood, coming from the words of Jesus Christ at the Last Supper? You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you gave life to all things. So outlining here that Christ, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gave life to all things, just as Jesus was brought into the world, truly human, truly divine, and he is the author of life, he makes all things holy and possible. And making them holy, you never cease to gather a people to yourself so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. So we have Jesus Christ. We're offering up this pure sacrifice to his name for the church, for the world, as we celebrate with him at the table of the Lord. And therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same spirit, graciously make holy these gifts which we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. 
And that's the part here, when the priest is consecrating the host, these holy gifts brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, whose command we celebrate these mysteries. We celebrate these mysteries. It was his command when he said, I am the bread of life. Eat my body and drink my blood. That was the command so he can enter into us. And we could be part of the promises that he outlined for the people 2,000 years ago and still remain true for us today and forever for all of those who exist now and for eternity. Why? Because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Something transformative here. Something amazing. The transfiguration occurring here. Again, Jesus Christ becoming bread, becoming his body wine becoming his blood, us being able to receive him into our physical selves and into our spiritual soul. About the soul. Then the priest will say, for on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples saying, take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. The priest then raises the host, raises Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, showing him to everybody who's gathered there and taking in all that he is, gazing at him, understanding, raising him up. Not that he needs to be elevated even more because he is as high as it can be, but to draw all focus to Christ at that moment. And then the priest says again, in a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice. He gave you thanks. He said the blessing and gave the chalice to the disciples saying, take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. So then he lifts the chalice up the blood of Christ, which was poured out for us on the cross so we, we can drink of him and we can be washed clean so we can have eternal life, the true and everlasting new covenant. Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity, the gift of the Lord, thanksgiving for God and all he has done for us. He's abiding in you. He's abiding in me. Our house, our home, our physical selves is his dwelling place. And God wants to enter into us because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. This involves a lot of faith. It involves a lot of trust in the Lord, relationship that is built, but it doesn't become more sacred, more personal than allowing us to receive himself. Every single time we celebrate the Eucharist, certainly trust in Jesus, trust in him. That doesn't mean the pain and suffering is going to go magically away. There is no magic wand that's going to just make it all vanish. However, when we receive him into our life, the true bread of life, we receive him and he gives us peace amidst all of life's struggles amidst all of the pain points the things that are happening that we don't understand and we can have the grace to be able to take it all on jesus tells us tells us i have told you these things so that if you remain in me and my words remain in you 
Ask whatever you desire and it will be given to you. Ask whatever you desire. You need eyes of faith, he'll give you those. If you want to receive the understanding and the belief in your heart and in your soul, this truly is his body and blood, he will give that to you. Just enter into him a little bit more deeply. When you celebrate the Mass, the next time you go, understand who he is and what he is giving to you, the gift of himself each and every time. Certainly life to sustain us, to give us what we need on our daily journey, this bread. It's just like him saying, give us this day our daily bread. In the prayer that Jesus taught us in the Our Father, he is the true bread that's going to give us that life each and every day to nourish our souls on the journey. And then to allow us to have him living inside of us, so that way we too could be a shining example of God's glory in Christ in our lives to enter into life more deeply with him and to extend that hand of invitation of people to come to the Lord because that's what he wants. He thirsts for souls. He hungers for people's hearts. He wants them to share with him the beauty that this world has to offer, life to the fullest here, but true life in eternity. I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made complete. Those are words from John chapter 15, verse 11, because it fully emphasizes all of what was taking place here in the Bread of Life discourse and what Jesus is laying out for people as he's the foundation, the rock that we're going to set our faith and life upon, that sturdy foundation that is going to last forever. It's going to remain. For the bread of God is the one coming out of heaven and giving life to the world. My hope is that you receive something special today by hearing this podcast. You understand and realize that your life is a gift from God. What are we doing it to give our lives as a gift back to him? And when we receive him into our heart, when we receive him in communion every single time that we go up that aisle and receive the Eucharist, when we're there in front of the Blessed Sacrament, truly being in the presence of the Lord, that He is there with us. He is there with us. And, and He receives us just as we are. I can't stress that enough. It's so critical for us to understand that, to realize He's going to take us just as we are. Come to me, all you who are labored, and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. We're resting in the Lord. We're allowing him to rest in our hearts. We're allowing him to enter into us. That way we can go out into the world, into the body of Christ, and we can love just as Jesus loved. Let us close in a short prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, who was raised on the third day, and who gives us his life as the bread of life, for the world. We ask that we can have and receive him with eyes of great faith and understanding, that you can come into our hearts, that you allow us to receive Christ in the Eucharist as that bread of life, veiled behind bread and wine, but understanding with true faith that this is truly Jesus the Lord, that every time that we receive him, every time that he enters into us physically, that we can go out and we can proclaim the gospel by the working of our lives, by our faith as a testimony to the goodness and the glory of the Lord. Amen. May God bless you today. May you celebrate the Eucharist, the feast of Thanksgiving as much as possible. And as always, keep living life to the fullest.
for EF3 Life and the Life to the Fullest podcast. I'm your host, Dan Jason. Make sure to visit EF3Life.com and check out my latest release book, The Saint Next Door, as well as other nonfiction faith-based texts and children's books like Jesus Loves You and Is Your Friend. Follow us on social media at EF3Life. And as always, keep living life to the fullest.